Welcome to the Heart of Life podcast, sponsored by Riverbend Counseling in Colorado Springs. I am Brooke Small. And I am Jesse Steffes. In this podcast, we dive into the heart of life's questions. This is not a substitute for mental health therapy. However, our goal is to make healing accessible for as many as possible. Today we're going to be talking about healthy sexuality and how purity culture has impacted especially our letter writer, but all of us in some ways, whether we grew up in a faith tradition or not. Today we've invited our friend Erica Hinkle to join us. Erica has started a support group, a therapy group, based on healthy sexuality helping women to empower themselves within their sexual identity and disentangle themselves from some of those things that have caused a lot of shame or confusion in their lives. So we're excited to have you here. Why don't you tell us a little bit about who you are, what you do, and how you came to this work. All right. Well, thank you, ladies, for having me. Um, As Brooke said, I am running a purity culture group And, um, I've come into that work as well as just being a therapist, um, a really good therapist, (laughs) (laughs) um, you know, primarily was working with women in trauma. And then I started to notice a pattern of women coming to me who were struggling with intimacy in their relationship and sexuality in their relationships. Um, and a pattern of coming out of purity culture and then just struggling with you know, the happily ever after not being what they expected. Mm. Um, and just, and seeing more and more of that, I started developing more passion about it also because I myself came out of purity culture. Um, and so I definitely understand some of the complexity that comes with, um, being told, um, about your sexuality from, a young age and an impressionable yeah. age. Yeah. We're so glad to have you. Um, we have the perfect letter for you today. So <laughs> you are exactly who we needed. All right. Uh, this week's letter, dear heart of life, what even is healthy sexuality? I have so many mixed messages swirling around in my head that when I'm with my husband, I'm not really with him. We've been happily married for many years now, but I can't seem to shake feelings of guilt and shame when we're intimate. I know this makes him feel bad. It makes me feel bad, but I don't know how to change it. I feel like we did everything right and waited until we were married. I believed my whole life that even though sex before marriage was really bad, once I was married, everything would be magical. It's not, and I know because of it, we're both suffering. Can you help? Hmm. (laughs) Yeah. I... As we were talking about how to do this podcast, it, we have so many thoughts, and it is very possible that this turns into a two-part <laughs> series. But I want to 
speak to this writer in that I have so many women who show up on my couch who have very similar feelings. Mm -hmm. And there's a couple things here that I want to point out from the very beginning. One is we can have all of these mixed feelings and be happily married or happily mm -hmm. partnered. That That's true. Mm -hmm. And the other thing that's true in this is we can still hold on to the tenets of our faith tradition and reject the things that hurt us. And I want to mm -hmm. be able to hold the tension of those things as we move through this conversation. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Similarly, too, I, I have a deep reverence for for the the structures often that provide home for people. And so this, this idea of talking from our personal experiences or even referencing the experiences that we've gotten to hold space for in clients um, is where we're coming from. And, you know, as we move through this episode and, and Erica, you are someone that's so easy to share with anyways, <laughs> whether this was on an episode or, at, you know, happy hour, it would feel this way. But this story resonates so deeply for me of, of those swirling thoughts and things like that. So I'm excited to uncover that with the notion of we're talking from, from our own spaces. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And two, I just want to acknowledge, um, as Brooke said, that this is a fairly common um, story that I think a lot of therapists hear. Um, and I just think it's so brave to even start looking at that aspect of the relationship and talking about it and writing a letter about it um, because there's so much shame attached and Oftentimes there's not, at least in my experience, um, sex wasn't talked about. And, yeah. and so even when there's a issue or anything, like it's hard to just start even asking questions and communicating because it was so taboo and shameful to even start that conversation. So I also just, even if it's anonymous, it's still <laughs> brave to it's start this conversation. Brain. It yeah. is really brave. And Erica, you said before we even started, we're going to be bumping up against our own stuff in this conversation. Mm -hmm. And and even just the, like, well, how do I talk about this? Do I call it intimacy? Do I call it having sex? Like, what, <laughs> what do I say? What's okay to say and what's not? Like, there is some discomfort in this room as we move through this. Mm -hmm. But it's such an important conversation because I think even if you weren't brought up in and I'm going to put purity culture in quotations, right, within a religious system, mm -hmm. this is still the story that's told in our society, right? Right. This is still the story of women are supposed to be a certain way, that we are supposed to dress a certain way, that we are responsible for other people's thoughts, behaviors, and actions. And so when we're talking about this, we're talking about a societal uh, story that has yeah. been told that all of us at some level are trying to detangle from. Mm -hmm. um, I was just going to say, you know, with that, with the society piece too, um, actually like historically, um, there was a big push for a lot of reasons in the 80s and 90s. I won't go all deep dive into the history, <laughs> but um, where... Um, the federal government started to give a really large sum of money to states to teach abstinence-based sex education. So mm -hmm. even if you didn't learn it in the church, chances are 
you learned it in school. And that happened from starting with the first Bush administration, Bush senior, Mm -hmm. through um, like Clinton, second Bush, and then Obama changed that. Um, And the only state actually that didn't accept the money was California Mm -hmm. because they said that they wanted to continue comprehensive sex ed. Yeah. So again, even if you don't have a religious upbringing, you were affected by that Mm -hmm. and not having comprehensive sex ed. And so, you know, like this letter writer, in so many ways, this isn't your fault. Um, You know, there wasn't a lot of space to learn about your body, not only just the parts of it, but how to connect with the sensations of it um, and what they mean. That was okay. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, and I know we can go deeper into that, but I just want to acknowledge like, you know, as Brooke brought up, it's a cultural thing for so many reasons. And also like, there's a lot of government money in teaching this. So I think it was hard for states to deny that. And we know that those, those implementations did not actually meet the goals that they were intended to meet. Right. Um, it didn't reduce, you know, unplanned pregnancies. It didn't, it didn't do any of that. Um, we know that comprehensive sex education is actually what helps young people make better, more informed and healthier choices about their bodies. Mm -hmm. And in that, as you describe that, and even listening to this letter, the onus so often in purity culture, again, regardless of where that comes from, but the onus in purity culture is so often on the woman, on the woman's body. And the, the, the outcome of noncompliance is the visibility of a pregnancy or things like that. And, and it's often women. and, And I have experienced this in my own circles that women's the response to women who have engaged in um, healthy sexuality or sexuality at all, they responded too much different than the men with whom they did that. Mm-hmm. And that is that is a difficulty of this too that we have to talk about. Of this isn't just you know here's a here's a new sex template, but this is what has this meant about you, letter writer, as a woman in your world, and mm-hmm. how is this showing up as your responsibility to fix in your marriage potentially too? Right. Yeah. I was raised in a system that taught modesty right Mm -hmm. alongside purity culture, which I think is true for most. But I remember hearing on a very regular basis that if I showed parts of my body that someone somewhere had deemed as inappropriate, like knees (laughs) or shoulders, Mm -hmm. that I then became walking pornography, right? Mm -hmm. I became the object And that because I chose to make myself into an object, I was then responsible for someone else's experience of me, right? Mm -hmm. So it was just this process of objectification and then self-objectification and a disconnect. And we're going to talk about this more, a disconnect from my own body and from my own sexuality because I had learned that it was all bad, that it was, it wasn't safe. It wasn't good. I wasn't really taught how to keep myself safe, mm-hmm. but I was certainly taught how to keep other people safe. Right. From your very weaponized, dangerous body. Knees. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> Don't talk about cleavage yet. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. And that's the thing. Um, I don't know if you guys have listened or, well, I always listen to books. Listen, listen to, to the books too. Read. <laughs> yeah. Pure by Linda Klein. So good. Um, but she talks too about when, girls develop early, Mm. um, pretty quickly they're told 
that they need to cover up more, even though they're trying to cover up as best they can Mm -hmm. and could be wearing the same style of shirt as the person next to them. But on them, it's a sexual thing. Yeah. Even though they're like maybe 11 and have no intentions of being sexual. I remember distinctly, I'm I'm taking a writing course right now that, that Brooke and I are both taking and we were asked to write about something. And one of the things I wrote about was, um, when, when I started puberty, like when I got my period for the first time and I, it was the middle of a, um, a really big snowstorm we'd had here in Colorado Springs. And I was with the neighbor boys and we were building, um, an igloo in the snow and my, I got started getting cramps and my lower stomach was like stabbing me. And I was like, Oh my God, like, this is how I'm going to die. And then I realized and it connected because luckily my mom had talked to me about, about this. I was like 10 years old, nine or 10. Fast forward, I was having my first period, but I remember in that moment needing to make sure that the two neighbor boys didn't know what was happening to my body. Mm. And I was so glad that when I got home, my mom answered the door and she could come to the bathroom with me. And even in that relationship, there was this very like, pregnant pause of like is my body still okay even in my mom's eyes and I'm so Mm -hmm. grateful that her response was like this is okay this happens it's it's happening like very early but like it's happening it's okay but it was already hardwired in me that the way that this beautiful human woman body is is moving life through it was shameful Mm -hmm. like don't talk about it it's dirty and boys certainly shouldn't know Mm -hmm. and like talk about ground zero core memories of what body means in the future and what sexuality means and the ability to be sexual means right and i think that's such a great point too around periods being dirty and shameful and again my mom also was like one night i was having like pain in my low belly. It wasn't cramping. Um, but she was like, it could be cramping and explained it and was prepared me. But I still remember when I got my first period, I didn't want to say anything. I hid my underwear. Mm -hmm. Um, I like figured I found pads for myself, but my mom Mm -hmm. like, you know, probably saw the (laughs) wrapper in the garbage. We're not sneaky kids. Hey, like (laughs) this is okay. Let's talk about it. You know? And again, I, felt comfortable generally sharing with my mom, but there was this idea that something about what's happening to me is shameful and I need to hide it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, and it sounds too, and the transition from being a child to being a person that can engage in their sexuality in really liberated and healthy, hopefully ways, that transition is not something we talk about. We talk about it as puberty of like, okay, you're going to get like boobies and boys are going to start getting a little erections and all this stuff. Adam's apple, you know, some of these Mm -hmm. things, but we also don't talk about what does it feel like to have your body feel more adult than the rest of you does? Mm -hmm. And how is it for the world to, to respond to your body as that's happening also? Right. And that can be the, I think, origin of a lot of sexual hangup. Mm hmm. Well, I think it goes back to you know, with that idea, right? Like of like, okay, so now I can't show my shoulders or right. Or, yeah. or now I, I have this, this more sexual body, just maturing sexual body, but it's bad or it's wrong. And, and all of that gets mixed up into this I don't know, recipe that we keep pulling on, but it's not actually true or right or good. Yeah. 
we are talking about the idea that our brain makes associations, right? So if I go on a roller coaster, I've been on enough now, one, for, <laughs> for, one is enough. for my body to already anticipate what's coming, right? right? I can always already feel the, the, the sensation in my stomach. I can already feel a little bit of anxiety about what this is going to be, even if I'm excited to go on, like my body's responding. And the more I do that, the more the associ- association is there. If I have a really terrible time on it, um, my body is going to remind me with fear and sensation that this is something we don't want to engage in. When we're talking about sexuality and we've, we're taught in our developing bodies that these sensations are bad or wrong or nobody talks about them, mm-hmm. what we begin to do is layer shame or guilt on top of that. And so the longer that happens, which as teenagers, it's going to happen on a very regular basis because our body is trying to grow into a healthy, functioning human body. Mm-hmm. The, lo- the more we do that, the, the stronger the association becomes. So I have a sexual sensation in my body or feeling, thought, emotion, and all of a sudden shame gets layered on that. No matter what you believe or what you have chosen, the day you get married, that association doesn't go away. You've spent, I don't know, 20 something years hardwiring, hardwiring it. it. Yeah. Not to, well, not to mention just the, the functionality of sex. You wouldn't know any of that either, which mm-hmm. that's not a great experience to be fumbling and <laughs> figuring that out either right. on top of all the emotional component too. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 And just that not even knowing how your body works. Um, yeah. Because with the shame connected to it, you know, and we kind of talked before we started this with this mind body split that starts to happen because you might feel sensations you're not supposed to. You can learn pretty quickly to dissociate from those sensations. Mm-hmm. And so you don't really, I mean, again, in, I can't remember if it was Linda K. Klein's book, um, but I feel like I've heard a lot of women talk about you can't even clean yourself without feeling Mm -hmm. weird or dirty because, Mm -hmm. you know, like as we talk, we're going to try to say the words like (laughs) um, your vagina needs to be clean, but you're taught, you can't touch it or that something's dirty or wrong with it. And so you don't know anything about what's happening. Yeah. And then you go into trying to have sex for the first time and don't even know your anatomy. Right. Well, and this happens, you know, so early when we we have to learn that our bodies are bad because when we're babies our bodies are perfect and when you know little boys are there they're playing with their little weenies mm-hmm. penises Latika <laughs> <laughs> oh, would be so mad at me for today. <laughs> Um, but you know, we touch they touch their penises, we're touching our vaginas like we're we're exploring our body because we don't know it's a bad thing to do. We don't know that that's different than, you know, when we're finding our ears or our nose or grabbing daddy's nose really hard. And it's like, you know, we, we at some point learn like, Ooh, don't do that. Or don't do that here. Right. You know, or uh, not in front of people. And, and that often I think comes because the people who are caregiving for us, it's baked in all the way from the top that these right. things are not, are not okay. And so that idea of not only not knowing our own bodies, that can also 
you know, in my experience and in my experience with many clients that also creates a barrier in how we explore our own sexuality in like solo or masturbatory experiences too. Mm -hmm. Like we, that's like, well, we can't. Right. When that's a very natural experience for humans to engage in. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that piece is really important to touch on of, you know, I think most people who've grown up in purity culture, I know myself and in the spaces I was in growing up, that was just wrong. Yeah. Um, and I, I went to a Christian college and, you know, people give personal testimonies a lot and, you know, in different group settings, they'd be like, okay, so-and-so is giving their testimony tonight. And nine out of 10 males testimony would be about how they used to masturbate. Mm. Um, but that they, you know, like came to learn that this was wrong and, you know, like it brought them closer to God by stop mas- by not masturbating anymore. Um, and so there's just so much talk about that um, and that it's just unpleasing to God yeah. to basically get familiar with your own body. Mm-hmm. You know? It's very interesting, the experience I'm having right now in this conversation. <laughs> yeah. And I think th- this is going to be something that I n- notice is the, the rules are showing up and getting really big even as a part of my brain is like this is an important conversation to have and I see how the dysfunction has shown up in my life and in other people's lives but the rule that this is like yeah we don't talk about that like what why 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 are you saying that that is getting really big Mm -hmm. and I'm noticing even as you know, as therapists, we're always asking people to be in touch with what's happening in their bodies because mm-hmm. sensations are the language of our body and thoughts are the language of our mind, right? And so we're always asking people to be in touch and to understand what their body's trying to tell them. And mine is like, get the hell out. Yeah. <laughs> <Right>? this, is, <laughs> this is not... This is not safe, which is interesting because in previous podcasts, we've talked about the difference between discomfort and mm. not being safe. Mm-hmm. And right now, all those old rules are saying I'm not safe, where really it's discomfort. It's yeah. like, hey, you got to lean into this because there's something to, to be learned here. Right. And, it, and it's what I love most is that you, you said that because that's how we move into the immediate. And that's how we say, you know, we, we have, we have clients tell us this often, like, I am so not used to talking about this. Mm -hmm. And it's like, and we need to, because there's something stuck here. And it's, it feels that way because somebody or some bodies benefit from our world being such that we don't talk about bodies and sexuality and pleasure and, and bodies being connected to mind. And, you know, this disconnection between brain and body you're talking about too, we, we moralize living in the cerebral space Mm -hmm. and we moralize thinking through instead of letting our bodies also, they're naturally experiencing everything we are, but somehow her experience, I call my body, her is like, you don't get to talk about how much you loved that touch. Right. But I'll intellectually like dance around it. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. So talk to, talk to us a little bit about the idea of how purity culture, uh, highlights or promotes suffering and 
restriction Mm -hmm. and you'll use better words I bet as some part of goodness right yeah is that a great question it is (laughs) no I know what you mean I like the body language you guys could all just see I'm pushing the question (laughs) at Erica and hoping it makes sense right yeah um well I think about uh, I'm trying to think of how to articulate this um so an example that I think about, and I don't even remember what this conversation was about, but one time a friend and I in college were talking about something and I was like, well, you've worked really hard. You deserve that. Mm. And her first response is, I don't deserve anything mm. um, because, you know, it's only by the grace of God that we have mm. anything. And so while I think that that can be a good talking about the grace of God is beautiful and that sort of thing, it always stuck with me this idea that I don't deserve anything Mm. and that that work that she did, like she did suffer through, you know, I think it was like a paper. So I don't know. It was like (laughs) something in college, (laughs) but you know, she suffered for that, but she didn't deserve a reward for that. And there's this like sometimes prizing that suffering. Mm -hmm. Um, And so, and again, I don't want to, do too deep down the rabbit hole, but, um, you know, it was very much a part of the culture in Rome. Um, I think it was Rome where philosophers like Aristotle and Plato, Plato kind of started to talk about the mind body disconnection and depravity, Mm -hmm. um, of the body kind of makes us whole or makes us more in touch with our spirit and the spirit is the, and consciousness and the mind and that kind of stuff is the only thing that really matters because our bodies die and we yeah. can watch them deteriorate since the day we're born, they're working towards death. Yeah. Um, and so because of that, this like abuse of the body is okay. And mm-hmm. almost like helping somehow us on a spiritual or an intellectual level. And yeah. that was very much adopted by anyone in that culture at the time, which included the early Christian church and mm-hmm. other you know, religious sex and that kind of thing. So it makes sense that that continues to be this point of reference of like Mm -hmm. our bodies, what are they here for, (laughs) you know, in some ways. We can see that even in, you know, the work we do around, you know, body liberation through rejecting diet culture and the the idea of this self-flagellation of like, I'm going to endure as long as I can or see how long I can do this or, you know, no rest days and right. like this, this boot camp like thing. And it's like, but, but for what there's some connection we have to the morality or nobility of a body who has denied itself. Mm-hmm. And when we think about denying self, I think that's, that's been, um, surgically kind of snipped out of context so mm-hmm. often because you know we did a podcast recently on selfishness versus selflessness and really dug deep in this but the denial of self is is within context because we're making space for something else it's mm-hmm. not just there's a goodness in my suffering and victor frankel talks about the idea of we can't choose whether or not we're going to feel pain but we can choose whether or not we're going to suffer through it. Mm-hmm. And suffering is this often self-imposed experience of like, I'm going to make this terrible for myself. And, mm-hmm. you know, I remember being in college with a lot of um, young men who were also in, you know, in this, <laughs> this purity culture and engaging in 
everything except intercourse, mm-hmm. right? Like it was, it was everything but to maintain this denial. But it's like, but what are you actually doing? Which right. which really speaks to what's the point of the denial? Is it just to be able to check a box? Right. Or is there something in this that's helping you grow as a human? Mm-hmm. And yeah. that, yeah, that always was like, well, I don't get it. Yeah. Well, it's it's interesting too because I think in in a lot of ways diet culture, purity culture, beauty culture, the body is something that is meant to be overcome. Mm-hmm. Right? Like And is wild and feral. Yeah. Yep. We we are meant to control and overcome and um win. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But what? <laughs> right? Like, Mind over what, matter. What what is what is the win when we have to disconnect from the source that allows us to experience the world, mm-hmm. right? When we demonize, when we other, when we disconnect from from how we move through this world. Mm-hmm. And I think it's a Princess Bride quote, but I think that <laughs> it's like... Not Victor Frankl. <laughs> but that idea that life is suffering, mm-hmm. right? That That is a, a message that so many of us hold and that... It is, it, life is meant to be overcome and our bodies are meant to be overcome. Right. And we're missing the beauty of all of it. Right. When mm-hmm. we believe that. Yeah. yeah. Especially when you think about how you're made, how yeah. we're created. Um, like we're made to experience the world through our senses. Yeah not through our intellect, (laughs) you know, like Mm -hmm. our intellect can make sense of what we're absorbing, but we absorb things initially through our senses. Right. A balance of heart and mind. Yeah. You know, I'm thinking too about when we, when we talk about this idea of our bodies being weaponized and, you know, we talked, we talked before this podcast about how we also want to honor those who are choosing things like abstinence and, Mm -hmm. Similarly to diet culture, the neutrality around it or the motivation behind it is actually what matters. Mm -hmm. And so I'll tell clients, a salad is just a salad unless you're eating the salad to make your body smaller. Right. Abstinence can be a choice that you make for yourself that feels really right for you. Mm -hmm. But if it's in this place that's creating a ton of suffering or you're cloaked in shame for the thoughts and beliefs and feelings that you're having then is that really life-giving to you? Is that really healthy for you? And it again, it can be just what it is, and it could be the best and best, you know, great greatest choice for someone. Right. But what's the motivation behind it? Right. Yeah, I think that motivation piece is key, and also information. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, feeling like you're choosing that for yourself. Yeah. Um, because, you know, sometimes we're given these, I don't even want to say choices. We're sort of given this rule at an age where we can't, our brain isn't even capable of making this kind of decision. Um, and so I wonder what it would be like if abstinence was also taught with more information about like, here's ways that you can, or like, here's healthy sexuality. Here's what all this looks like. Here's what your body, like Mm -hmm. the anatomy of your body, all this stuff. And even if you choose abstinence, you still have this information so that you don't just jump from doing nothing, knowing nothing into this expectation that 
it's going to be magical for the rest of your life. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, kind of going back to that letter, you know, like, again, it's just not your fault that you were told that. And I've heard that. I know a lot of people, there's sort of a joke in some of the podcasts I've listened to. There's always that tatted, young, hip youth pastor who's like, you just wait, guys. <laughs> Once you get awesome. married, yeah, it's going to be the best thing ever. <laughs> but until then... Don't even no. think about it. We're not going to talk about it anymore, but just know that. <laughs> you know, <laughs> Just know there's something looming for you on the other side of a monumental life-changing choice that you're right. really going to enjoy, but don't do it yet. <laughs> right. And don't talk about it. Yeah, and don't rush into marriage, but you, oh my God, the sex is going to be great. <laughs> right. Don't rush into marriage. <laughs> right. <laughs> going to that idea of choice, what came to me is I remember sitting in several youth meetings, right, where choice was put on the table right. right but but it was kind of like here make sure that this day you make a choice not to do this thing right. so that when that moment comes up in your life you'll have already made the choice right right or here are all the things that you could do choose what you're gonna do but know that there's only one right choice <laughs> exactly and that that choice is heterosexual Yes. Mm -hmm. You know, and I think that's the other piece too. I guess it's kind of going away from the question a little bit, but that this is what sexuality is. It's between a man and a woman and in the context of marriage. And that um, sometimes, unfortunately, because of that, um, there are people who in their 40s start to, you know, they have a family and kids and are like, I don't think I'm straight, yeah. <laughs> you know, or, or there's a spectrum and I wish I would have explored, right. you know, because I, I do love my spouse and I also want to see what it's like with a woman right. instead of just this man. Mm-hmm. Um, and again, because that's not even presented as a choice early on. Or um, even a, a potential reality. Right. Like it's so far out of the confines of how this could look. Right. Yeah. That there's just a lot of disconnection from true self or like your, your authentic self. Yeah. You know, I, I think that we have talked about this purity culture piece and how this develops and then getting into the letter writers component of merging, like what you said, Erica, which I want this to be like a teaser for potentially part two (laughs) of how do we actually merge love with sexuality when we've, decided or been offered the only option is to separate the two so I wonder if we close this here to be able to move into part two and really Mm -hmm. talk about the relationship aspect because this is meaty and it's delicious yeah (laughs) it is I am Erica thank you for joining us I'm excited Mm -hmm. for part two of this I want to to end this segment with coming back to this truth of which we talk about all the time and both right Mm -hmm. we can find a lot of value in the institutions and the systems that we have grown up in we can still identify fully and truly and faithfully with those things and we can also see the harm that's been done and try and heal and change that. It's the same as what we would talk about in family therapy. In family therapy, we're not asking anyone to reject members of Mm -hmm. their family. Mm -hmm. And we're not even saying the whole, the family as a whole is bad. What we're saying is there are elements of this 
that aren't working and haven't worked for people Mm -hmm. and have at times caused harm. And we want to be able to look at those carefully and with compassion and with curiosity and begin to disentangle that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So we'll, we'll pick up in part two. Yeah. Thanks for joining us. Wait with bated breath. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. We'll see you next time. If you are interested in submitting a question or letter to the Heart of Life podcast, you can do so at our website, riverbendcolorado.com, and click on the podcast tab. We would love for you to give us a five-star rating on whatever platform you listen to this podcast on. By doing so, you help us make the Heart of Life podcast easier to find and more accessible for everyone. We will see you next week as we walk each other home. Mm